This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Denver and shortly. But first up, as we record, it's the eve of Game 2 of the Socceroos double header against Ecuador with the national side successfully negotiating Game 1 off the back of their World Cup heroics in Qatar. The signs are good that the late resurgence and giant killing run was no flash in the pan with Graham Arnold's recently appointed he has a huge job ahead of him over the coming 10 months to fine-tune the squad for the 2023 Asian Cup, which has been rescheduled to start in January 2024 in Qatar after China pulled the pin to get his thoughts on what we've seen so far and might see ahead. The man who covers the national game for the Sydney Morning Herald and the age of Vince Regari will be joining us very soon for a chat. Then, with the Euros coming around quicker than ever, with the previous iteration postponed also due to the pandemic, we'll talk to Oliver Kay from The Athletic about England drought-breaking away win against Italy in Naples, ending a six-decade losing streak and including Harry Kane's record-breaking goal. Gareth Southgate seems to have this team in a special rhythm and with the pool of experience and talent at his disposal, surely silverware, the silverware drought is the next one to fall. And of course, we will wrap it up with uh, another twist from Willemon World Cup Corner. So Edge, uh, the clock is ticking to your ultimate triumphant return home, mate. Uh, but um, it's it's good to see against a, a quality opposition like Ecuador that Australia managed to get the job done. It didn't feel like a friendly to me. It, it certainly looked like the Ecuadorians were turning up to play um, in, in Sydney the other day. I just thought it was a fantastic celebration of the Socceroos' return to Australia after the World Cup heroics. And I was very, very pleased for Jackson Irvine, who I thought was the outstanding player in the match. I uh, thought he was absolutely sensational. Uh, he uh, scored a lovely goal and uh, rode the crest of the wave, which he's talked about. Uh, Awa Mabil, very, very happy for him. He scored an absolute belter, channeling uh, the young fella Irukunda. And Aziz Bage did square the ball for Garan Kual to score the goal. Um, mm-hmm. If only he had done that a few months earlier, wouldn't it? <laughs> Oh, as he's would have scored a goal that would have stood in the uh, in the annals of football history for for the rest of uh, for the rest of all time. Yeah, Um, I thought it was really great celebration of the Socceroos. They were feisty, uh, they were energetic, um, and I think they enjoyed being back on uh, home town. And uh, um, I know that uh, people listening to our uh, broadcast tonight, if you haven't got a ticket and you live in Melbourne, buy one and get down and support the Socceroos against Ecuador in the second game of this friendly series. Couldn't have gone much better, uh, Edge. Uh, Rob, good to be back for another week. Uh, I want to ask you, Michael, about Aidan O'Neill. He made his debut, as did Alexander Robertson. Going to ask Vince when he joins us about Robertson, but I'm going to throw to you on on O'Neill, Edge. He, for mine, uh, is a guy who spent a little bit of time over at Burnley when he was younger, came back to the A-League, was at Brisbane Raw, has spent time uh, in the Australian youth development system as well, played for the under-23s. One for me who perhaps questions his distribution a little bit. I didn't quite think he'd graduate to uh, become a senior Socceroo, but he looked good. He, I think his passing's come a long way in the past uh, 12 months or so at Melbourne City. Uh, and at 24, he looks like the proper holding midfielder that we haven't really had uh, across the last World Cup cycle since Millie Edenak's retirement. Well, he's emerging, isn't he? I think he's had a very good 12 months. Um, I saw him quite a bit at uh, underage level, under-20s and under-23s. And uh, I actually... 
have always thought that he would uh, develop into a soccer But, you know, those holding midfielder types, they're, they're not young players' positions. They are more positions that go to players that are a little bit more experienced. They're very much a leadership role within the team. Uh, they do pull the strings in uh, in the tempo of the match and uh, and key transition of the ball as well. So, um, yeah, I thought he was very, very good. But, it's, you know, look, he needs some more time and some more games. But I think he's had a very good 12 months. I think he is maturing into a wonderful player. Um, also in the ilk, you know, albeit they play in different positions, Conor Metcalf, you know, uh, I think... Um, I think uh, Aidan O'Deal will make a handy soccer route, but it, it, he might be in and out of the team for a little while before he uh, sends that anchor down in that position because he's got one Aaron Moore in front of him, hasn't he? He does. Bit of news ahead of the second game in Melbourne. Harry Sutar's going to miss. He's already on the plane back to Leicester, having picked up an ankle knock. Uh, and Graham Arnold flagged some minutes for Bailey Wright in his place and Riley McGrew as well, uh, among five to six changes that have been forecast. Off the pitch, Rob, Qantas have renewed their partnership with Football Australia as the airline partner of the Socceroos and Matildas, as well as supporters of the Australia Cup, uh, a, a cornerstone partnership, really, of the uh, of the national teams for... Uh, it's pretty much uninterrupted since 2004. Uh, yeah, you can probably speak to the uh, the importance of having those long-term uh, supporters uh, and sponsors. Tied yeah, down. look, it's excellent when you see, um, particularly coming out of what's been a really difficult international time over the last uh, three years, the uh, national carrier uh, staying with the the Socceroos and the Matildas, of course. Uh, we all remember what a, uh, a pivotal role they played in 2005 when they chartered a, a special aircraft and kitted it out for the, uh, the then uh, ultimate heroes who uh, had to travel to Uruguay and, uh, and the Uruguayan national side. I think Edge would recall this better than I had to catch the all stations back to, uh, uh, to Monte Vadeo to play in, in that um, in that leg, so it was uh, at least on the way over because the first leg was in uh, in Uruguay. But excellent news, uh, the FA have been doing some wonderful commercial deals over recent years for football, and uh, I guess I've just got a bit of a bugbear. Um, I, I just wish that um, we didn't have to uh, constantly attach. Uh, the brand of the um, of the, the major sponsor to the name of the national side. Uh, uh, I don't think uh, England or Argentina uh, would would call themselves the British Airways uh, Three Lions or or the uh, you know the Argentine Airways Albi Celeste. I just don't think that that's necessary. Empeñada Argentina, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. So uh, you, you take my point. I I I think. Honestly, it diminishes both when they have to do that. I think that the national brand, the national football side, should stand on its own, and uh, and that the uh, the halo of association can be achieved in so many other ways without having having to attach the brand to the name of the national side. I just think that's unnecessary. It's a bit of a gripe of mine, but uh, wanted to get it off my chest while I'm giving out the uh, the bouquets. Uh, a little brick bat there as well. No arguments from me. Let's have a look at the A-League women's because it's coming down to the wire. Uh, Western United have had the grip on the Premiership for their entire inaugural season, but it's looking tenuous. Two losses in three has opened the door for Sydney FC. Uh, Western United lost 3-0 to fifth-placed Canberra at home on Saturday. Sydney have a game in hand, uh, and that's going to be played against Perth Glory on Wednesday night. We speak a lot in this country about free air in the uh, the sports Landscape, Michael, that is as free as it gets a Wednesday night, and that is a, a blockbuster fixture. Squeaky bum time in Tarnit. Certainly squeaky bum time in Tarnit. That is a very good way of describing it. Um, yeah, lot to look forward to with uh, that fixture, well and truly.
Let's move to the international space. Cristiano Ronaldo's 197th Portugal appearance has seen him move past Kuwait's Beda Al Mutawa for the most senior international matches. He set the record as Portugal made the perfect start to their Euro 2024 qualifiers. They dismissed Luxembourg 6-zip. He then scored twice in their next match, 4-0 over Liechtenstein. So that extends his lead uh, to 122 goals. The other sides to enjoy two opening wins at the time of recording were England. We're going to chat to Oliver Kay about them in depth. Uh, they defeated the holders, Italy and Ukraine, and Slovenia defeated Kazakhstan and San Marino. So Rob, England, Italy, probably the highest profile clash there uh, if we let France 4, Netherlands nil through the keeper. Yeah, no, fair point. I think um, you know Oliver will expand on that a, a lot more and what it means for for England and uh, Gareth Southgate with uh, you know the goal scoring record of Harry Kane. Uh, would be interested to ask him uh, some questions around some potential weaknesses in that squad where you know they've done such I mean incredible uh, work over the past you know decade nearly. Uh, from the uh, the heights of the Croatia semi-final in, in Russia where you were both um, obviously losing Euro final uh, and uh, ultimately the most recent World Cup where the uh, Harry Kane ballooned penalty uh, uh, sent them out of the tournament. But it, it just feels from a, an observer's point of view that there's, there is a, a wave of momentum building up with that side. We saw the, uh, the Lionesses win the Euros there as well. It just feels to me like uh, there's just a couple of missing pieces of the puzzle that just need to be polished off and fine-tuned. Gareth Southgate seems to be the type of guy that can handle the kind of pressure and criticism that comes his way and tolerate it and uh, um, and has got the imprimatur of, of the head office to, to, to go through another cycle. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting to Oliver Kay about all that. Anything tickle your fancy out of the Euro qualifiers, Edge, or should we move along to the European managerial merry-go-round? Let's move along to the European managerial merry-go-round because that's a lot of fun. Well, Conte is gone from Tottenham. They've parted ways by mutual consent. 16 unhappy months at White Hart Lane. Uh, Such a pillar of strength under Maurizio Pochettino when they made the Champions League final and threatened uh, for the title. But 2019 seems a long time ago, so they're looking for their fourth permanent manager since then. Obviously, no trophies for uh, for Conte. Uh, and Bayern Munich's poor run of form. This one was a bit of a surprise to me, at least, to seeing Julian Nagelsmann sacked. They remain in the mix for back-to-back Bundesliga titles. Uh, he won last season. That was their 10th in a row. Uh, but yeah, their 2-1 loss to Leverkusen on Sunday saw them cede top spot to Dortmund. Uh, seems harsh to me. He's been replaced in rapid time by Thomas Tuchel, who we know has been out of a job since his own rather harsh axing as Chelsea boss in August, Rob. So, I mean, all of these guys will have... They'll move on to other jobs. They're all, you know, they'll all have their various successes or otherwise. But, uh, yeah, I guess two two departures at the opposite ends of the scale, Conte and Nagelsmann. Yeah, sort of got a bit of a Roman Abramovich-esque sort of feel about it, doesn't it? That uh, you know, he, they might end up winning the, the Champions League after knocking out uh, PSG and he's not going to get any credit for it. I was listening to another podcast suggesting that he, that he might have to, uh, Thomas Tuchel, let his, uh, uh, hand over the trophy to, um, to, to Nagelsmann if they, if they do, because they could easily win that, that double. It's still not out of the question. See, I guess you've got to ask what, what else is going on behind the scenes. I mean, you, you lose Robert Lewandowski and you're still in the frame to win the Bundesliga and the Champions League and you still get the Tijuana. That, um, that is harsh, Edge. That is very, very, very harsh. But I've got something to raise uh, for young young Will. A Hodgesaurus, he didn't... Uh, that hasn't made... He hasn't, finished his, he hasn't finished his report, Edge. He, he, he would have him in there for sure. You've no, go on, Edge. The old... Uh, he's back, Roy, the boy, out of the nursing home and back onto the touchline. 
75 years of age. And um, Danny Murphy, who played under the Hodgesaurus for a long time, said he was very, very nervous for his former boss. 75 years of age. How would Patrick Vieira feel about that? About being replaced by the Hodgesaurus. He is... um, (laughs) He is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I've had the opportunity to meet him uh, once, and uh, he was just delightful and extremely polite. Uh, Seventy-five years of age—that's a remarkable appointment. I've just—I just want to say a remarkable appointment, Roy Hodgson, or as we call him on this show, the Hodgesaurus, for obvious reasons. We've got time. Flesh that out. Where were you? Where'd you meet the Hodge? Uh, I was in England uh, with uh, a couple of uh, business colleagues, and uh, one of them knew him, and uh, we bumped into him into a in a hotel for and had a cup of tea. And it was a delightful discussion. He was very interested in Australian football. He was very knowledgeable about Australian football. And, um, yeah, he was just one of those uh, people who just, you know, shook your hand and um, just was extremely polite. I imagine him being very polite in the change rooms, Rob, do you? Hmm. Yeah, well, you don't, you don't seem to get the, the Sir Alex Ferguson uh, uh, stories leak out of the dressing room of the, his various uh, uh, managerial roles, uh, hairdryer style. So uh, he, he does look like a, a polite, well-mannered uh, fellow, but that's just from afar. You're the one that's met him. You're his mate. Well, the You'd... rumours are that uh, when he was approached, he, he went home and had a talk to the missus, who's 74, and she said, I've had enough of you since you got the boot from the last joint, so go back and do it. He famously gave it to that reporter. Let's not take the piss here. Well, I think you are, so we can dust that one off. That does the rounds on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, it's a very good one, absolutely. And the uh, when he walked out of the England um, press conference too, that was a good one. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. We've talked about the Socceroos plenty, so we'll have a look at the Matildas and a reminder that you can sign up uh, to the Green and Gold Army mailing list today and register your interest for the Asian Cup in January of next year. GGATravel.com.au going to be huge. Uh, the Matildas, we know they're playing England on April 14. Another one to stick in your diary before that. They're playing Scotland in or at Wimbledon on April the 7th. Ellie Carpenter's going to be there, Michael. She's spoken to Forbes this week of all publications and said she sees her ACL injury as the best thing that's happened to her mentally. Uh, She was back out on the pitch this week alongside, or not alongside, in opposition to Sam Kerr. Both played 90 minutes uh, in the Champions League quarterfinal. Leon 1-0. Yeah, I think Ellie Carpenter might be right there too. She is one of those players that emerged at a time where she just had to keep playing 12 months of the year to survive. And, um, you know, she's had a... So, so this enforced life of the ACL might have done her uh, a little bit of good. And uh, let's hope she's right because uh, the Matildas with Ellie Carpenter a lot better than the Matildas without her. Absolutely. Well, and as we've discussed, and many have, Will, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, if she can do uh, anything uh, similar to what Harry Sutar did uh, coming back from his ACL in the Men's World Cup, then uh, we are on a good thing. What you were going to say, Will? Tiny little mention, the bad news has been passed on to Steph Catley. She's going to miss those friendlies with a a foot injury. So the race is now on for her to make sure that she's fit uh, for the middle of the year. Okay, well done. All right, well, I'm going to just uh, go and get myself a cup of tea and uh, hand it over to you, boys, uh, while you have a chat with uh, our good mate Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald uh, just about uh, what he saw and what he's seen uh, with Graham Arnold's side up close and personal uh, with that win at Parramatta Stadium and the upcoming win- um, match at the Docklands in Melbourne. Uh, it's, a, it's a long 10 months ahead before the Asian Cup, but uh, if anyone would know what's going on inside the camp, it is Vince and you two guys. We'll talk to him next on Box to Box. Everyone is buying Hoyt Spices and you know why they're buying Hoyt Spices, Willem? Because it is nearly Easter. We talked about this last week, didn't we? We did. It was 
time to go and stock up for the uh, for the the hot cross bun spice pack. Well done. See, you do pay attention. The nutmeg, the ginger, the cloves, the allspice. That is because the sweet treats are just a little sweeter and a little tastier when you, you use Hoyt's. So get along and get all of those ingredients, including the cinnamon. That's so easy to make your own hot cross buns, and they taste so much better with lashings of butter. Edge, you must be looking forward. I don't know that they'd have many hot cross buns in Thailand. They do, Rob. You can get it at the supermarket, hot cross buns, here in Thailand. There's enough expats floating around that uh, there's a bit of demand for that product. But they're not like the ones that we get in Melbourne and Sydney, Rob. No, they are so tasty and delicious. Hoyt's lemon pepper or dried parsley for the Good Friday fish dish. It's nice and easy. Get the Good Friday fish dish going and some lemon pepper and parsley to spice it up and make the flavour come out of that fish just the way you want it to. The Sunday roast lamb inspiration. That's what, well, you, there's nothing like a big leg of lamb is there well, on Easter Sunday. Uh, um, but, you know, you don't want it to be... Uh, leg of lamb or a big leg of pork? Oh, yum. Yeah, well, beautiful. I mean, uh, nothing other than Hoyt's uh, uh, is going to get that flavour going to make pork sure that you get the... You like the pork knuckle? Oh, I love it. I'd never forget going to Frankfurt all those years ago when I was flying with Qantas to to, uh, to eat the um, the big pork knuckle. But uh, smoked paprika, thyme, basil leaves, ground cum and curry powder. That's a nice spice rub. Willem, you, you love all those sorts of flavours. Absolutely, I do. I'm hungry. I'm feeling hungry. I remember eating the uh, the pork knuckle in Moscow, watching the Belgian yeah. quarterfinal in 2018 at the uh, yeah. at the German beer hall in Moscow, um, and it just lacked a touch because I didn't have the hoits. Exactly. So, yum, yum. Tastes good. You can refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Gold's. They sanctions they get you every time, don't they? No Hoyt's has the spices in Moscow, Rob. No, no way. And all good independent supermarkets. There's nothing independent in Moscow. But uh, if there was, they'd have spices from Hoyt's. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The Socceroos are spending some precious time on home soil and as excitement builds for the second of two matches against Ecuador on Tuesday. We thought, what better time to catch up with a man who loves the side as much as anyone, Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald. G'day, Vince. Hey, guys. How are you going? Well, thank you, mate. Thanks for joining us once again. These two friendlies were billed as a World Cup celebration, but a couple of injuries and tweaks to the squad pretty quickly made this all about the future. Two debuts in Sydney, another couple expected in Melbourne. Uh, I know you don't write the headlines for your copy, but on Thursday, the headline did run Socceroos on verge of new golden generation. So fair to say you're buying into the optimism around the team at the minute? Uh, yeah, I mean, if there's ever a time to do it, it's at this point of the World Cup cycle before the pressure starts and we can uh, dream about things without um, needing to worry too much. But um, I think we genuinely could be, to be honest. I mean, it's been a while since there's been that many talented young players in Australia of such a high level. And as I wrote in that story, though, it doesn't mean they're all going to make it. But, um, you know, we just seem to have a shot here at potentially having a really, really good team for the next 10 years or so if some of these kids reach their potential. Uh, and especially if they can sort of continue the the little wave they've got going or they've had at least uh, under Arnie since the, the window that got us to the World Cup and did last year. Ever since then, the Socceroos have had a bit of just this character about them, this energy, uh, and it was brilliant in Qatar, and they seem to have carried it through already in the first Ecuador game. So I think just in general, it's a pretty pretty good time to be a Socceroos fan. 
Alexander Robertson uh, is at the forefront of that excitement. He made his to win the World Cup with Australia, if you don't mind. Uh, for years, his allegiance has been a bit of a mystery and his development's been sort of kept pretty pretty tightly in check. It's been you know, a bit of a, a concerted family mission, if you like. This past week, it seems, from a public point of view, it's the first time the curtain has uh, has been sort of pulled on him and we've, we've heard him speak for the first time. We've seen sort of what he's all about. Um, so having having spoken to him, are you, are you confident he's, he's made his decision? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, like uh, you... you, you... He's in it for the long haul. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine a kid whose uh, father and grandfather both had the Socceroos playing a game and not committing fully um, his whole international career to that, that jersey. I think it's pretty clear that uh, he's made his mind up and it's Australia he wants to play for. Um, uh, and it certainly looked that way when he came on the field. I mean, uh, some really, really tidy touches. Um, just great awareness and touch as well. You can tell he, he, he sort of trains with some of the best players in the world with just the way he carries himself. Um, so there's quality and a little bit of bite there as well when uh, he went down with that penalty shout and the Ecuadorian players got in his face and he needed big Harry Sutar to come in as a as a nightclub bouncer and separate everyone until everyone had calmed down. It was, it was brilliant. But um, yeah, the kids uh, potentially... He's one of these guys who's, as you say, he's at the forefront of this generation and it looks like he's got the shot to be a really, really good player at a really, really good level in football in Europe. I mean, he's already making the bench for Man City in the Champions League. It's a big step for him to make a debut under this club, um, given the the quality that's in the squad and the expectations. But you never know towards the back end of this season if there's a uh, if City win the title or lose the title with a couple of games to go or whatever, and there's some essentially dead games. You can imagine Robertson getting a good run for Man City there. And then he needs to make a big decision about where he plays his football next season too. Because um, it's obvious he's got quality and he needs to, to get some miles in the legs at the moment in terms of match minutes. But he's he's a really, really good young player, I think. And uh, and ideally, a, a core for this sort of new Socceroos that, uh, that Arnie's beginning to build right now. Vince, um, on the eve of the, of the game against uh, Ecuador in Sydney, there was an important announcement with a re-signing of Rene Mullerstein as uh, a senior assistant coach uh, for the Socceroos through the next uh, World Cup campaign uh, and into America. Can you just uh, let casual uh, observers of the Socceroos and maybe people who don't follow the internet just how significant that reappointment is and the um, level of support that he obviously gives Graham and the program? Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, first of all, Rene Mullenstein. Uh, used to be uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's assistant at Manchester United, a really highly rated um, coach in Europe and, uh, and and in English football circles in particular as well, and just seems to have a really good rapport with Arnie. Um, they're sort of similar characters, I think. Um, but I don't know, they complement each other well. They obviously offer different sorts of expertise on the field as well in terms of tactics. And Rene very much meshes in well with that culture that Arnie's built in the team as well. He's a very open, warm kind of guy. I think the players really enjoy that and, and, and you know can feed off his experiences that he's had um, in world football. Uh, it, it is important. I don't think Arnie would have um, committed. Oh, maybe he would have. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure part of what made Graham Arnold stay on is, is his desire to retain pretty much the same coaching team he has around him. We know John Crawley's re-signed for a few years as well. So Arnie has his, his trusted people um, and Rene is certainly one of them, offers a lot to the team. Um, and he's also Arnie's sort of eyes and ears on the ground in Europe as well, between windows, between matches. Um, when Arnie's based in Australia looking at Aussie players, Rene is usually the first person to go out and make contact with 
um, Aussies based at uh, clubs in that part of the world as well. So he's, he's important to the Socceroos set up in a number of different ways. Vince, who do you think out of the emerging Socceroos, we've obviously, uh, obviously you've spoken about Alex Robertson, um, there's Irukunda in the wings, um, there's obviously the players that came in, the younger players that came into the World Cup set up uh, for the World Cup itself. But out of that cohort of players, um, if you could choose one or two that are going to make uh, regular starts and play big minutes, in the uh, the next World Cup campaign, who who would you who would you put forward as being the two one or two players that will really emerge as a front line soccerer in the next World Cup campaign? That's a really good question, and I probably need some time to consider that properly to come up with a couple of answers because I just you want to say someone like Iran Kunda as well, but you also don't want to put. I mean, he's 17 right now, right? So in 2026, he's only going to he's going to be like 20, 21. Um, that's still very young. Uh, a lot has to go right for him to be that player we want for us. To, um, for him to be for us uh, at future World Cups. This next one, who knows where he lands with that? He seems like the sort of player who could end up being one of the best in the world or completely fizzle out. Like he's just got that. I don't know that. I, I really hope it's the former because uh, he, he really impresses me. But another one, I spoke to him today and I'll probably write an article about him at some point um, in the coming weeks as well. And I'm not sure how young he is to classify in this discussion, but I think Riley McGree's down for some massive things um, in football, potentially Premier League next season, I think, uh, with Middlesbrough. If not, at some point in the future, he's got the quality. He now believes in himself as well, uh, especially after that World Cup campaign. I mean, Started four games for the Socceroos at, the, at a World Cup, um, which is the sort of thing you'd say about some of, you know, you, you mentioned that stat and the names associated with it, you'd imagine it would be people like Tim Cahill of that ilk, you know. Riley McGree's done that now at such a young age, which is fantastic. And to think he's he's got so much more improvement in him as well. But the thing with this discussion is, like, you could make a case for quite a number of players doing this. And that's what's so exciting, I think. There just seems to be a decent number of players with really high ceilings. Yeah, there certainly is. It's an exciting time to be following the Socceroos. Who would have thought a year ago, Vince, that uh, Graham Arnold, he was on the rack this time last year, wasn't he? And um, there was uh, pundits and speculation amongst fans about whether he would actually um, go to the World Cup because things were looking a bit dire after the Saudi Arabia game. But the turnaround's been amazing. Um, One player that I want to just quiz you on, A1 Mobili was in great form uh, on Friday night in Sydney. Uh, we didn't really see much of him at the World Cup. He, he had a cameo appearance off the bench uh, against Tunisia, but we didn't see a lot of him. Um, he's 27, 28 years of age. He still has a lot to offer. Lot to offer. He was he was sparkling last uh, Friday night, wasn't he? He was pretty good, yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed what he said about his, his finish for the goal, was that he, he just gave it a bit of Nestoria and Kunda, which was just pretty funny. <laughs> uh, he did belt the hell out of that ball. It was a, a great strike. But I... He bloody needed that, I reckon, as well, because he's he's unfortunately at a, at a bit of risk, I think, in this Socceroos team, at least in terms of starting positions, because he's not playing an awful lot or scoring an awful lot of goals at his new club in, in the Czech Republic, Sparta Prague. And and so you begin to wonder what's going on there with Awa because that's happened now at a couple of clubs where he's fallen out of favour. Um, he is quality. I, I, we've all seen it. He just needs to find somewhere where he's playing you know, consistent football in an environment that's positive for him, for him to be able to offer his best to Australia because in his position, you've got other guys who are coming through, like your Quals and your Agundas, but also, you know, Matthew Leckie, who 
to be honest, doesn't look like he wants to retire from the Socceroos anytime soon. And given the football he's playing for Melbourne City, um, he's got every right to be wanting to wanting to be like that for the Socceroos and be that guy for as long as possible. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's such an interesting time to, to watch the Socceroos at the moment. It, it really is. Um, there's, there's so much talent coming through and, and, and so many different directions that Arnie can take this team. While we're running down the team sheet, Vince, got to ask you about Garang Qual, first international goal on Friday night. Only been abroad for four months and still only 18, but as is, in my opinion, ridiculously, the nature of uh, football criticism and, and pressure has started to build in some quarters as his goal tally at hearts uh, does stand at zero. You speak to him on occasion. How have you viewed his first foray abroad? Yeah, it's been difficult, no doubt about it. Um, but I think that we're just... I don't know. I, I, you know, you don't want to read too much into it because re- at some point in Garang Qual's career, you were going to, he was going to meet some, some sort of resistance, right? Like pretty much from the moment he was discovered by professional football in Australia, uh, he's just been going up and up and up. And this is his first real challenge. Uh, and I think he will take some time to work through it because he's a bit different to Aaron Kunda in that Aaron Kunda's got the physicality, I think, to to to, to sort of, um, you know, play more men's football. Going Quall needs to really fill out his body, I think, especially if he's going to go somewhere like Scotland um, and compete. It, it really is a different game out there, and you, and you have to sort of remember he, he's a very slight build. He's a small guy. Um, and once I think he adds a little bit of muscle to his frame, we'll be able to see the, the best of him. And I think what's happening there is, or at least according to the people who are close to him, is that he's now beginning a sort of 18-month project to be that player, to do exactly that, and to build out his body uh, and, and we're probably not going to see the best of him, I don't reckon, until we see uh, the fruition of that journey that he's on. But I think there's a, there's a super little player in there. People forget, um, I think, just how special some of the things that he's done uh, were and, and how much he stood out in the A-League. And I just think he's one of those ones that's just going to take a little bit of extra time to cook until we see his absolute best. A lot of this stuff has come early for him. Well, Vince, as as, uh, as Edge mentioned in their last Friday, uh, was a year to the day since a makeshift soccer is under Arnie were done by Japan uh, pretty comprehensively in the wet at Homebush. And to consider the 12 months we've had uh, from that point would have been uh, would have been really impossible. So considering where we're at now and what we've got uh, ahead of the next 12 months, things are yeah particularly exciting. So we look forward to uh, watching how it unfolds and catching up with you to discuss it along the way. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's going to be an exciting journey with the Socceroos, and uh, I just encourage more people to stick with it and turn out as well uh, to matches where they can. I was a little bit flat with the turnout um, at Combank Stadium on Friday night. I think the boys deserve more, and uh, you know, hopefully the people of Melbourne can come out and, uh, and you know get out there in their numbers and show support for this team of really likeable characters and really exciting footballers um, who Australia should be getting around. Yeah, we'd hope that the scenes at Fed Square during that World Cup would be uh, would be backed up on, on Tuesday night at Marvel Stadium. So, Vince, thank you there. Vince Regari of the Sydney Morning Herald. Stick around on the other side of the break. Rob will be back, as will Oliver Kay of The Athletic. Okay, Chemist Warehouse. Well, um, you just love them. You love talking about those crispy uniforms there. Oh, yeah, no. Hot off the uh, hot off the press, the dry cleaner. They're always looking sharp. I uh, I popped in the other day. They've got the the Moose Head hair product, my favourite. Oh, just show it to us there. Yes. Um, I always yeah, wondered why you were so well groomed, and that's what it is, is it? This is the orange one, the gritty clay. This one's gone missing. I'm going to have to buy it on the Chemist Warehouse online shop. But I popped in and bought some of the yellow stuff in its place this week. See, well, well done. Put that on your mustaca. No, the mustaca doesn't get uh, doesn't need any uh, additional love. 
It stands there on its own. Stock up and save right now with Chemist Warehouse. If you're not buying your hair mousse, there's Wagner Health Paracetamol, 100 tablets for $4.99. That's pretty good. It's, um, I get the occasional headache from time to time. I'm just not patient enough to put up with it. So I'll knock back a couple of those paracetamol from Wagner's. Um, I'm a bit of a klutz, so I graze myself from time to time. So I get the Betadine. But you know what Betadine also make? A ready-to-use sore throat gargle. You must get a few sore throats traveling around the world as you do? You do get a few sore throats on and off planes. I'm just um, I'm stuck on the self-description that you're a bit of a klutz. Oh, yeah, absolutely clumsy, mate. Off, I think if there's something to bump into, I will bump into it. 120 so minutes. a bit of Oh, absolutely. I'll buy the bulk pack, mate. Uh, and uh, and also this throat gargle for nine ninety nine. This is the 120 mils, but uh, it uh, it is important to have as we come close to the winter months, as this the Diamond Tap Kids Cough and Cold 200 mil for eleven ninety nine. Anyone who's got a youngster in the house needs to make sure they have this, don't they, Edge? You brought up those two beautiful young girls of yours, uh, and uh, I bet you you always had that cough and cold uh, syrup handy. Absolutely, you've got to have that. Hey, William, did you see the write-up on Ed, on Rob in Ed News a few weeks ago? I didn't, Michael. Tell us more. Well, he, he, he did a full-page sort of, you know, 3,000-word uh, interview. I mean, he, he's bigger than Texas in the Ed world, you know that. But when you're running live reads like this weekly. Exactly. Well, I, and each... but it's because of his relationship with Ken as well, it goes so way back to the exactly. early days of the caveman that is really important. Um, no. And... I can't wait. Oh, look, my little kit that I travel around the world with, Rob, is empty. I am going to spend a truckload at Chemist Warehouse to replenish my little uh, travel kit that keeps me going on the road because I end up getting, you know, um, painkillers, paracetamol, betadine, all the stuff you've been mentioning. I end up giving it to people who don't have it when I meet them on our tours. See, so you I, are such I a big-hearted, generous guy, and that's why we know and love you, Edge, because that's the sort of guy you are. You make sure you're always thinking of someone else, mate. So, uh, well done. No worries at all, mate. I'll take you down there and get some of that cold draw day and night. Forty-eight tablets, sixteen ninety-nine. You might need some of that. All right, boys, we will wrap it up there for our friends at Chemist Warehouse, Mario Tascone, the great running machine that he is uh, at the run for the kids a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hats off to him for the Melbourne Children's Hospital. Great savings every single day at Chemist Warehouse. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. Now we know this is a multicultural country. Whether you're from uh, Europe in your background, through Asia, Africa, uh, everyone follows in one form or another another team. We have a second team apart from the Australian national men's and women's side, but uh, there is always one team, regardless of how well they're going, that uh, that remains on the radar of Australians uh, when they're watching football around the world, and and that of course is England. And uh, with the Euros coming around quicker than ever. We with the previous iteration postponed because of the pandemic, uh, uh, England uh, right in the box seat for uh, a pointy end finish in the upcoming Euros in Germany. And they started it off in the finest of styles with a win over Italy, breaking a six-decade drought in Naples. And to talk about it, a man who watches uh, the English national side very, very closely from the athletic is Oliver Kay. And we welcome Oliver back to the show. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks. Hey, Oliver, um, I, I mentioned that Obviously, that uh, England have begun in perfect style. Obviously, the uh, the win at Wembley uh, in the last twenty four hours uh, over the Ukraine break the the six uh, sixty year drought. Uh, Harry Kane breaks Wayne Rooney's record. Uh, you got 
you know, giants of uh, the game at very young ages, uh, uh, like Bakayo Saka and, and Jude Bellingham is only 19 years old that are just going to get better and better. So I could just ask you the question, Gareth Southgate's critics, are, are they finally now giving him a spell and prepared to give him a, a clean run uh, to Germany next year? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like there's an awful lot of negativity towards Southgate. I find it quite strange, really, that England are in a period, you know, the last the last five years have been England's best since, you know, winning the World Cup in 1966 in terms of consistency, in terms of performance in um, in, in tournaments, results in tournaments, um, developing young players. It feels like everything's been about as smooth as it could possibly be. The one thing you can't say England have done is 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 win a tournament. But, they, but you know, they reached World Cup semi-final, reached the... Um, European Championship final, lost on penalties to Italy, you know, very small margins, lost um, in the World Cup quarterfinal to a very good France team. Um, I feel that that is, uh, you know, it's been a really good performance, really good few years for, for, for the international team, but people just whinge. People, people moan about, you know, them not having won a tournament um, uh, and moan about the performances, which I think the performances have, have been really good for the most part. Um, so and and generally quite entertaining, sort of free spirited, developing young players, like I said. So it's um, yeah, but I, I just think people have got it in their minds that Southgate, because he's never really won anything previously in his managerial career, must be the reason why they still haven't won anything. So it's you know people have made their minds up, and you know after a good World Cup, it felt like as soon as England lost, people were going, well, yeah, I told you so. Southgate's the problem, and. I think, well, we lost to mm. France, you know, really strong team who, to me, player for player are better. So, um, yeah, it would, it would be nice if England and Southgate could win one of those sort of huge matches at a tournament. But, um, yeah, I, I think if you compare it to the previous decade in particular, it's um, it's like night and day. And it's slightly doors moments, isn't it? I mean, you take that form line that you've just described, uh, losing to France and then France go on to lose uh, in um, to, to Argentina, then uh, mm. then that suggests that if you know if England had have beaten France in that penalty shootout, that they would have been at the very least uh, uh, competitive against Argentina in the final. So you know, people, uh, uh, I guess, in this country uh, are just grateful for for the the the, uh, the pickings that we get when we get out of the group. We're happy and we've had an iconic uh, uh, in, in Australian sporting history. If England don't win it, then um, then people are complaining. I mean, you, you talk about Southgate um, um, from a personal point of view. Um, I read uh, the article that you wrote uh, uh, before the game and you, you mentioned that you had two big hopes for the, the next 12 months. Uh, one of them was to find an alternative to Harry Maguire in central defence. Now, you know, Harry was, you know, if you were going to rank the players in both those matches, it, still he was one of the poorer players in both games responsible mm. for uh, probably goals in uh, against uh, against Italy and um, and a bit leaky got uh, a, a rollicking from uh, Jordan Pickford at one point in the Ukraine game and then the other point that you made was a player capable of controlling the rhythm of the game in midfield so you spoil for choice with these young attacking players like Saka and Bellingham but uh, do, do they fit the frame for the latter but I guess the Harry Maguire question first yeah M- Maguire is um, I think Maguire is one of the things that people really sort of use as a stick to beat um, Southgate with. I mean, he's lost his place at Manchester United over over the course of this season. He's barely featured. I mean, he, he didn't play well for Man United 
last season, nor did pretty much anyone else. But he, but he has been sort of one of the victims of the Ten Hag um, new regime, and and United have got Martinez and and Varane in central defence. They look a lot more solid. So you know, it's not like Manchester United fans are jumping up and down saying Maguire should be in their team. He's played, you know, he's played. He's been in and, out, in and out of the team, you know, for cup matches and Europa League and so on. And he's not he's not looked sort of back to his best. Um, and I think it's I think it's it's like I could really understand why Southgate stuck with him for the World Cup. I think I, I think there was a sense of well, there's no real really sort of strong, compelling, experienced alternative that's emerged for us yet. And we trust him. He's been great for us at at the previous two tournaments, I think he had a really good World Cup, to be honest. So I don't think that decision backfired. But I think if you look at it, you know, logically looking towards the Euros next year, you would you would hope an alternative emerges, whether it's Fikayo Tamori at Milan, whether it's uh, Mark Gahey at, at, um, at uh, Crystal Palace. But I don't feel like England have, have really got... And, you know that they've got so much competition in some areas. You know, sort of wide positions in the in the front three, um, right back in particular. But I think there's a there's a real lack of depth and quality in certain other areas. So it's not like there's a an outstanding alternative as yet emerged. And I, it would be nice to see that that happen. Not not because I'm desperate to get rid of Maguire, but but because you know I think there needs to be an alternative. And and in terms of the um, and in terms of the midfield, yeah, I mean, the, the first half performance in in Naples against Italy was really, really strong, and England were playing exactly as they wanted to, and and Declan Rice was very good, um, Jude Bellingham was outstanding, sort of pushing on. Calvin Phillips did a really good job as well, but then the second half it seemed to be a very sort of familiar story of the opposition getting on top, starting to dominate possession, sort of playing the game on their terms rather than on England's. And in that position, in that situation, there have been a number of games over the last few years. Uh, the the Italy final in the Euros, uh, the Croatia semi final at the World Cup, uh, the twenty eighteen World Cup. The there was a Nations League game against Spain away to Spain, which England won. But similar to uh, Thursday night, they really sort of lost control in that midfield area and were left really clinging on. I think that's that's the concern that. It just seems to happen. I mean, it's, it, it's been a sort of recurring age-old problem with England, where when they when they when they're not sort of bossing the game, they really struggle to get a foothold because the opposition just sort of pass it around them, and they've not got the ability, the type of players to do the same. So, Declan Rice, I think, is fantastic. Jude Bellingham is fantastic, but neither of them is is that sort of variety. Pirlo, Modric type of player, Iniesta, Xavi type player that that can be the one who just sort of slows things down and and sort of knits possession together, really, um, really in, in a really composed, uh, confident manner. And it doesn't feel like England have yet managed to develop that type of player. So they've got two, I think, two outstanding young midfielders, but not one of that particular type that I think would ideally sit alongside them. What do you think England absolutely needs to bridge the gap and uh, and take home a trophy? What is the missing ingredient in the whole setup that they're missing? Is it that key playmaker midfielder that you referred to in your article mm. on on the uh, on the athletic uh, 
uh, Oliver. Is that the the thing that we're, that you're missing? In, term, in terms of the sort of technical profile of the team, I'd say that's that's what they're missing. Um, they came so close in. I mean, you know, they've been close really in the last three tournaments. I, I don't think they've been too far away, even in the two World Cups. Um, but the the European Championship final, I think that was what they really lacked in terms of how that game ended up sort of going against them a bit. They, they, they were scrapping a lot in that match against Italy, that, that final against Italy. And I still saw signs on Thursday night that it would be similar if they were in the same position again, you know, in a, in a, in a final against Italy or a final against whoever, Spain, France, whoever. You could also look at it and say, well, when it came down to it in the Euros, sorry, in the World Cup quarterfinal against France, were they really, did they really believe enough? Did they really have that sort of intense belief, ruthlessness, conviction, killer instinct? Maybe they didn't. And maybe, you know, maybe their the best periods in the game came after they went 1-0 down and when they went 2-1 down. And, and you could you could sort of question the mentality a little bit, but at the same time, it was it was really sort of small moments. It was, it was you know, a missed penalty. Harry Kane doesn't miss a penalty. Penalty, he missed a penalty in that moment. Now people might turn around and say, "Well, that's because he's he's not won anything. He's not he, he's never won anything in his career. He's not a winner." I, I don't agree with that. He's, he's a he's a fantastic competitor, fantastic mentality. Just one of those things that taking a second penalty in a match against the goalkeeper that you play against alongside week in and week out probably got in his head a bit, and he and he, and he changed things, and it didn't go well. The execution didn't go well. But I feel like England England's mentality is far stronger than it's been for for years by which i mean sort of they know what they're doing they're incredibly together they're incredibly focused they don't they're not really thrown off course massively in in, in games but yeah that i think there's there's often that that belief that when a team has won something they develop more of that winning mentality and then it you know it's a bit it's a bit chicken and egg really how do you win anything without that winning mentality yeah italy won Italy, you know, it, Italy won that European Championship final, and and we were all talking about their winning mentality. Yet they didn't reach the World Cup before that. They didn't reach the World Cup after that. England beat them the other night. So can you really say Roberto Mancini has made them winners in a way that England aren't? I don't know. It's it's a complicated question. Well, we started off asking you for alternatives to Harry Maguire. Let's ask you about an alternative to, to Harry Kane, uh, the the man who's been given the latest opportunity to to fill that uh, potential void. Is uh, is only two years younger than him. Uh, he is uh, obviously the Brentford man, Ivan Tony, twenty seven mm. years old. Um, he's uh, got to face a, a potential sanction uh, for for. Uh, um, a, um, a betting uh, scandal that, that, that blew up but that doesn't seem to have held uh, Southgate back from selecting him. Mm. Uh, do you feel like he could be the guy that, uh, uh, given how prolific he's been, how important he's been for Brentford um, under Thomas Frank, that club has been really quite incredible and just ex- an exciting addition to the Premier League and uh, and, and uh, amongst uh, what's been a, an outstanding side that, that seems to just bob up week after week after week with uh, with excellent results the the common denominator seems to be Ivan Tony is he the guy well he's got he's got 16 goals in the Premier League this season which is which is so impressive for a, you know for, for a 
team that otherwise doesn't score that many goals. It's you know they're not they're not a prolific team and and they're a very good team, a very solid, organised, spirited team. But that you know it's not like it's not like he's having chances galore like um, you know like prolific strikers often do. He, he's been he's been excellent. He's he really he really has. The interesting thing is, as you say, he's only two years younger than um, than Harry Kane. Um, and funny enough, the, the other guys who are sort of challenging, Callum Wilson's 31. Um, Ollie Watkins, who's had a really good season at Villa, he's 27. Um, and they, those three, Tony Watkins and um, Wilson, have all been kind of late developers, really. Um, I mean, Harry Kane, in some ways, was a late developer and he didn't really start scoring for Tottenham until he was about 21. But, you know, that, those guys have all come to the Premier League Know, relatively late in their careers and blossoming late. Um, I, I kind of look at them and and Calvert Lewin as being another one, but they they all seem to be to be of a fairly similar level. I know people might have really strong preference for one over the other, but I I think they're all of a roughly similar level, different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and they're all sort of competing for that one spot, really, as as understudy or or sort of stand in for um, stand in for Kane. I, I wonder what will you know. I, I wonder who's going to be the one when Kane, you know, when when Kane's thirty three, thirty four, or, or whatever, you know, looking beyond the next storm. Is it, they don't seem to be, you know, in England's age group teams. They don't seem to be a great deal of, sort of really prolific. Sort of all-round centre forwards in the way that Kane was, but maybe the the Watkins Tony um, uh, Watkins Tony help me Wilson um, um, situation just just, just mm. says that that the players in those positions maybe mature at a different rate, and, and you know maybe maybe someone we haven't thought about now will will, will emerge over the next two or three years. Um, and and so. with, with the conditioning and, and uh, the money um, on offer for, for players in all sports around the world, we're seeing more and more um, players lengthen their careers. I mean, obviously the, uh, uh, the, you know, the guy sitting at the top of the, the pile there is uh, uh, in another sport, Tom Brady, who's just finished. <laughs> but, uh, but even if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, he's uh, still uh, scoring goals and, uh, and, and within the Portuguese group. So, but you know, who, who knows, it might not be such a bad thing. The next, World Cup's only a couple of years away, um, mm. and, um, and and Harry Kane might still be uh, scoring goals at, at that point. Oliver, listen, thanks for coming on, mate. We really do appreciate your time and your insights, and uh, um, and we love reading your copy with the Athletic. Uh, so uh, yeah, just great to have a yarn and and ponder uh, just uh, uh, inside the, uh, the the navel gazing world that is uh, the English national <laughs> inside. Certainly, a lot of navel gazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oliver Kay from The Athletic. Make sure you do yourself a favour and subscribe if you haven't already done and you can read his copy every single week. Okay, stick around after the break. World Cup Corner on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. Great chat with Oliver Kay from The Athletic there. Lots of excitement around the England camp these days. Uh, we'll let trophy silverware drought eventually end. Well, it will eventually end. How soon will it end? We'll find out. 
over the course of well, maybe the next 12, 18 months, two years even. But uh, now it's time for World Cup Corner. Uh, now, Willem, you, you're going to uh, introduce a new little segment this week uh, because uh, there are some of the, the nations competing in, a, in about uh, four months' time that we're not as familiar with. So you're going to introduce some of their players to us. Yeah, this is a segment within a segment, Rob. We're going deep here. Uh, I think you mm-hmm. would agree, Rob, that World Cup Corner, unfortunately, just through the nature of it, has been probably a, a largely negative experience for us so far with the women's game. Mm-hmm. It's been highly political. There's been there's been pay disputes. There's been player boycotts. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. been injury. Uh, so we're going to try and flip the dial and look to the tournament on the pitch. And we're going to try and build a little bit of excitement and educate ourselves and, and the listeners about who to look out for once the ball, uh, the first ball is finally kicked. So this is a players to watch segment. I've brought one today. I'm going to assign you guys some homework for coming weeks. Mm. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a Haitian footballer. Now she's only 19. She plays for Stade de Reims in France uh, and she's going to move on to PSG following the World Cup. That's already been all signed up. And at this young age, Rob, she's already been dubbed the greatest Haitian footballer uh, that that little nation has produced. So there were 50 clubs. Uh, oh, Melchie de Mornay, I should mention her name is. Uh, 50 clubs waiting for her to uh, to turn 18 last year so she could move abroad. Uh, in the end, she has settled in France for now. Uh, she scored uh, the double against Chile in, uh, in New Zealand in that intercontinental playoff uh, edge. So she's, uh, she's got her side to the World Cup for the first time. She's going to attend uh, at just 19 as, uh, as, as the headline act. So uh, one, to, uh, one to look out for. If she can score a couple of goals, she'll be, uh, she'll be writing history at, uh, at the tender age of 19. Yeah, she's a superstar. Everybody wants to uh, sign her. Um, and we got a glimpse of it at the qualification matches, didn't we, in New Zealand. So that's a good pick-up, Willem. Very, very good pick-up. Haiti will... Um, yeah, they're highly unlikely to get out of the group, but they're going to provide some pretty exciting moments. No doubt about it. Uh, this is your notice, Edge. Your homework next week is to bring a player to watch. Okay, I'm going to look at... I'm going to actually focus on um, with... The USA's number six uh, having a lot of fitness problems. Julie she's Ertz, she's been a massive part of that team over the last uh, eight or nine years. There's speculation that she won't be coming to the World Cup. So who, I'm going to do a bit of homework on who will be uh, that all-important number six. Obviously, when we think about the USA's women's national team, we think about uh, Rapone, Alex Morgan, you know, the, uh, Lindsay Horan, Andy Sullivan, you know, those, those sort of players that are well and truly uh, flying the flag for the team. We don't think of the number six. So I'm going to have a look at the number six and try and pick one out of uh, the US uh, uh, squad who's going to replace uh, the dependable and very efficient Julie Entz. Put a bit of excitement building around that Trinity Rodman could be included as well, Edge. Well, imagine that, Rob. That'll be bigger than Texas. You reckon the Yanks, the Yanks won't have enough hoopla around them, letting alone bringing a, a Rodman with all of the heritage <laughs> that that name brings? Exactly. Well, look, I'm going to um, flip over to, well, north of the, the US border and uh, and choose Canada as my nation. I'm not going to nominate the player just yet because I don't know which one I'm going to choose. But uh, the uh, the Canada match looms super large in the uh, distance as the, the final game of the Matildas group stage. So, you know, we right, obviously well, saw best. Be, that could be a huge match for the Matildas. Yeah, and so and so much riding on a Disney edge. I mean, with Bev Priestman, uh, you know, really um, making such a, a statement when she bought what was an understrength squad to Australia last year. They beat the Matildas on both occasions. Uh, they've had their own uh, dispute, as Willem you flagged off the top that they were they're one of the of the the main um, nations in in that uh, imbroglio generally, along with um, obviously the. Uh, 
the Spanish women's side, the French women's side as well. So uh, can they get things sorted out? Um, can the CBA get done in time? Uh, can the team turn up uh, with the same kind of form that they, they did uh, with their full strength squad? So uh, they're the nation that I'm going to choose for your segment next week, Willem. Fantastic, Rob. I've just had a look in uh, Melchie de Mornay and her Haitian teammates are going to grace Lang Park, Suncorp Stadium. We'll see what sort of uh, what sort of nick the turf's in by the time she rolls up there. Don't think the Socceroos have been back edge, have they, since the 2015 Asian Cup, that third group game against South Korea. Uh, they've been banished from international football, really, uh, Lang Park, but they get their uh, they get their chance to return here. England, Haiti. Well, I'm going to at least refer to it, Edge, as the cauldron on one occasion, because Edge, you will be familiar that um, in another sport, Lang Park was famously dubbed the cauldron uh, uh, under the emperor of Lang Park, King Wally Lewis. That's right. Uh, for people our generation, when uh, you mentioned, it's just great to go back to the original names of some of these venues. Mm. Lang Park, you think of all those times, uh, uh, the cockroaches and the cane toads used to belt living suitcases out of each other, Rob? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I absolutely grew up with all that sort of stuff. So I love uh, when these tournaments come around. And I mean, there's all obviously the, the time-honoured Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, uh, which I wonder if it's going to get a proper name for, for the World Cup. But uh, no, you're right about Lang Park. But, but, you know, what's interesting is, you know, it's it's we shouldn't, you know, be afraid of mentioning the other codes that have sort of made these stadiums mm. famous. I mean, Eden Park in Auckland is going to be mm. the site of some it's going to be the site of some fantastic women's World Cups memories. But you know what a fantastic opportunity for um, the elite women's football in the world to uh, to grace such a historic and significant stadium where the All Blacks have done so much of their good work, Rob. Yeah, sure is. All right. Well, w- well done, Willem. Nice uh, introduction for this week. Let's wrap it up. Um, make sure. Uh, Boys, that you prepared for stoppage time. We've got a, a big, um, a big lineup ready for for stoppage time. And for those of our listeners who are aware, um, we do pre-record uh, the shows, obviously in the nature of podcasts ahead of time. So we won't be talking about the uh, the Socceroos in in that show. Um, but uh, Willem, um, are you heading along on uh, on Tuesday night to, to the game? Yes, absolutely, Rob. I'll be there. Uh, as we said with Vince, hopefully all those who showed great enthusiasm and excitement jumping on the bandwagon and filling out Fed Square eight times over can um, stump up the 30 bucks and buy a ticket and get along and welcome the boys home to Melbourne. Excellent, mate. I'll see you there. Well done, Edge. Um, oh, it was only a few more days before you get back home after what has been a massive tour of duty. I'm back on Thursday night into Melbourne uh, on the Big Bird and uh, looking forward to that big ribeye scoff barbecue yum 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 it'll be just dripping with fat and juices and wood fire that's for sure and all right mate, safe traveling wheat herbs and spices no doubt as well oh without question <laughs> well done and damo well done to you as well and to our good friend derek who's listening at home uh, having another week off before he joins us back next week we hope uh, everything is going well with little henry Patrick and to all of our listeners out there please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box I notice a few people have been listening and giving us some rating which is uh, very very much appreciated helping us get up the the ratings ladder make sure you subscribe if you haven't given us that little five star tick please go ahead and do so stoppage time offside there'll be more offside to come in the not too distant future with Edge returning home Uh, make sure you tweet us at Box to Box NTS follow us on Twitter of course and like us on Facebook and make sure you do join us throughout the week as those podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.